0: Welcome everybody to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined on Wednesdays by...
1: This is Dustin Shooty. Dustin, you on Twitter? Nope.
0: I am. I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, having a lot of fun this season. Maybe somebody that's not... Maybe not having quite as much fun as the rest of us Big Ten fans is... Uh, Formerly Wisconsin head coach Paul Christ. uh, obviously Kurt and I. About forty-five minutes after we got done recording the podcast on Sunday, um, he had Kurt had barely even probably made it home, and uh, we found the news about Paul Crist. So we recorded a uh, Paul Crist emergency podcast via Zoom right after that. Touched on a lot of stuff. Feel bad, DS. We probably should have just uh, joined, had you join on to the emergency podcast. So. It's been the hot button topic of the week. I wanted to give you, what, what are your overall thoughts on, on how that went down with Paul Chris in Wisconsin?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we had, like, texted early in the season after Wisconsin's sloppy play against Ohio State and then against Illinois, like, is it fair to say that, that Paul Chris seat's getting warmer, and you had said it's a legitimate thing? but I never would have thought that this year would have been the year when you look back and they've had what, one, two, three, four, 10, win seasons, three division titles, six and one in bowl games. I mean, there are a lot of programs that would kill for that kind of number um, and that kind of success. And I know it's looked ugly so far, especially in back-to-back weeks, but I've got to be honest, the way it all went down, two things came into my head. Number one, Is there something more that's going to come out about this? Is there something that's been going on with the program that I I think Barry Alvarez might've been pretty good at sweeping some things under the rug and not letting a lot of negative attention get on the, on the program. The other thing is with the way that college football is changing with NIL, the transfer portal, you know, you had that Caleb Williams drama. Is he going to go to Wisconsin in the off season? Is there also a chance that Paul Christ is just done with it? that he doesn't want to be around or he doesn't want to coach anymore. He's, he's maybe taken Wisconsin as far as he thinks he can take them. And he wants out now because then to me, the most interesting part is the negotiated buyout, which was two thirds of what it was supposed to be instead of 16. I think it was 11 million. So those were just kind of my thoughts. Like, I don't know. I feel like the life expectancy of a head football coach nowadays is going to be a lot shorter Simply for the recruiting aspect and and I don't know if it weighed on him or not, just maybe that's too much conspiracy theory. Um, those are just the two thoughts i I had in my head because i don't I think when you look at the record and you guys talked about you know he had made enough deposits in the Bank of Badger <laughs> um to get another year at the very least um so to make this decision shocking, yeah,
0: well, you hit on some awesome stuff there. um one of the things that I had written down that. It, it seems to be the biggest nugget that has come out this this past week. Dustin and I are recording this on on Wednesday evening. Um, is the buyout structure and people are just their minds are blown that anybody would just because I think I, I could be a little bit off with these numbers, but he could have gotten twenty million dollars and he walked away with eleven. So people just say you know, 20 minus 11, you gave up $9 million. Right. Um, Certainly, certainly understand that. I do think that's looking at things in a vacuum a little too much with that. One of the things you just brought up is what I was going to hit on is maybe he's just done with it all. Um, And if, if, if there's kind of a sense by, by McIntosh, the athletic director that he knows that maybe Paul Christ is kind of done with it doesn't that kind of take some of the bargaining chip away from Paul Christ in right. saying, well, screw you. I'm going to stick around for 20 million. Um, and then the other thing I'd like to say is like, you're, you're still getting paid $11 million right? Do not do anything, you know, like you don't have to coach, you don't have to recruit. Um, that's, that's one side of it. And just one more is, is, there is details that came out that said, if he does want to coach again, that there was a pre uh, um, uh, a pre set up agreement in the contract that if he did get let go, that he won't have to take any kind of a, he, he doesn't have to come back to the negotiating table with his new employer or with Wisconsin. If he takes the barter down amount, he can now get a job anywhere he wants for any amount and there doesn't, it's a brand new negotiation for Paul Chris. I think if you just add all of those things up to me, along with the fact that I think Paul Christ can wear the same clothes and eat the same meal for the next 20 years, <laughs> and he's not going to care. I don't think it's a guy that needs all the money in the world. Like I think all of those things added together is why he was quote
1: unquote okay with taking the pay cut. And is it a coincidence that I don't know if you saw this the Big Ten network put out that clip of of uh like which coaches drink coffee and how they drink their coffee, and Paul Chris did not drink any coffee um which just adds to like he doesn't reveal he doesn't reveal anything like he, just no personality. And first of all, I don't know what the guys like independently. It is a it is a minor miracle in my opinion that he was able to get top forty recruiting classes at Wisconsin at all with his type of personality um one thing i would I... say one thing i would say though is well let me first add on one of the
0: questions they asked who would play you in a movie and he goes they're never going to make a movie about me <laughs> that's
1: 100 true it's fantastic
0: um but i tell you what man um there's some interviews player interviews that have come out this week the players are distraught that paul christ is is yep. no longer there um I, I I still hold firm that there is a little bit more to the Paul Chris personality behind the scenes than what we see, certainly in pressers. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying he's like completely Jekyll and Hyde, just this most dynamic dude in the locker room. But man, there sure seems to be some upset Badger players for him to be the most boring old white dude in the history of the world.
1: Right. I mean, that's probably fair. That's why I always preface that with, I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him outside of a, of a press setting. It's just, it's always something that's that's popped out to me. So it's going to be interesting. I think there's, I mean, I just keep going back to the fact that I think there's still, I feel like there was some, they left on good terms. Like I think Paul Chris probably wants what's best for Wisconsin. And if he thought, you know what, I'm checked out of this. We're not getting any better give Jim Leonard a chance. He he's the guy that took a chance on Jim Leonard in what 2015 or 16, whenever he got his start, give him the reins. Um, and then, you know, like you said, maybe he can just go somewhere and call plays for a couple of years. And then right up into the sunset, I don't know that that's what he's going to do. Um, I just, I just don't think it's quite as simple as he's two and three, Wisconsin was ready to move on. I think I I have to believe there's something more to it because it's 67 and 26 you guys touched on this and I never thought about this uh, until you guys mentioned it on that initial podcast. This is Bo Pelini esque. if it, they move on and it doesn't work out, are they looking at, you know, whatever it's a decade or more of trying to find the right coach mediocrity. Maybe you get to a bowl game. Maybe you don't, like you could be looking back and saying we made a big mistake. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to, I'm trying to do this math in my head in
0: that, um, Part of this I want to tie into when we when we break down northwestern Wisconsin because the pressure now turns to Jim Leonard. Um, so yeah, I'll try to get into that a little bit when we break down that game. Um, uh Paul Chris, I think, is either right at or gonna be 57 here pretty soon. Um, I'm not fully convinced that he's necessarily gonna be coaching again. I'll say this: I'll take the bet that he won't be a head coach. I just don't sure. see him. I don't see him cuz another coach that he's been uh compared to a lot is Frank Solich. Um basically it's like is he Frank Solich or is he Bo Pelini? You know, that's who he keeps yeah. the situation and of course it's both got Nebraska tied, which coincidentally I've seen more on the on the Wisconsin coaching stuff from Nebraska fans than I have Wisconsin fans on Twitter because of course you shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um But with that being said, I just don't see him going to Ohio, you know, uh, or Miami of Ohio in the in the in in the Mac and rebuilding a program like I I just don't see that from him. I think he would rather just be a quarterback coach or an OC and just and just
1: do that, that that would be my guess. But maybe maybe he completely proves me wrong. No, I think you're spot on. I think if he's going to do something else, like I said, just go somewhere and call plays and, and enjoy the next five or ten years and then go into retirement. I, I feel like he's one of those guys that could uh, just buy an RV and then wander for a while. <laughs> a little bit of wanderlust. That's what we might get out of, out of Chris. Um,
0: last couple of things that just popped into my head, but along with comparing him to Bull Pellini, his, his record since Jim Harbaugh, has been at Michigan is almost the exact same winning percentage too. That's another, Wow. I mean, they're almost identical for win loss record. And I will say more of those stats have been tossed around on Monday and that led into Tuesday. And today, I guess I haven't seen much today, but um, um, that uh, essentially more people are picking at this decision by Wisconsin now than they were right when the news broke. I think everybody was shocked and awed on Sunday. By Tuesday, when things had settled in, there was a lot of people asking questions like, was this a knee-jerk reaction? Did they make, did they make an error? And, and I, we'll see how this plays out, I guess, is what I'm saying. It has to,
1: it has to cross your mind because part of this that never – we never talk about this – well, we will. But the West is getting better. The, West, the coaching in the West is really good. I mean, top to, like, even though I know Northwestern is not good, Pat Fitzgerald has been a proven coach for over a decade. Jeff Brom dials up some plays. Now you got to deal with Brett Bielema. PJ Fleck has Minnesota up and running. Uh We'll see what Nebraska does. Like, it, it's a, it is a tough league. So it's not, um and that's not to say it's always been a bad league. I think I've been on record as saying that I feel like the, the West gets a bad rap, but I, I still think it's getting better. Like I, I think it's one of the deeper divisions, and so now people are starting to catch up with Wisconsin. I understand you wanna, you want to keep your hold and, and keep your, uh, your secondary address in Indianapolis. I just don't know that that's reality when you look at the coaching from top to bottom in the division. I
0: mean that noise you heard uh, just now was all fans of the Big Ten East teams spitting up their coffee when you said the Big Ten West is tough. I mean, or getting tougher. Now, the funny thing I would say is is I do think the Big Ten West has struggled more than than they have recently. But the sentiment of what you're saying is true, which is the gap between the top team and the West and the bottom is almost existent right now. So I do agree with the gist of what you're saying is that it's going to be tougher and tougher. Now, ironically, I think the divisions are going away. I think this could possibly be the last year of – the West, uh, but still the situation would remain is if the expectations are that you get to Indianapolis as often as you were at the heights of ironically the Brett Bulma regime uh, and that you get into the college football playoff. I don't, I don't like, I'm just saying those are tough numbers yeah. to hit and that's where we'll break it down and compare it to Jim Leonhard. Uh, when we get into breaking down that, that game. So, all right, man. Uh, I figured you'd had a couple things to say on that topic. Uh, it's the biggest one going right, right. now in the big 10. I mean, it's shoot. I think it's the biggest topic in college football this week. Uh, another one that hit the, uh, another little news tidbit that, that hit this week. Northwestern, uh, looks like they are going to implode, uh, their field and, uh, build a brand new stadium. Um, that's a big deal in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, the pictures of course look amazing, you know, whoever those companies are that do those artist rendering things, you know, they know, they know how to draw people in to give them a visual, uh, then part uh, if that's not big news enough, the part that added on to it was, it looks like they're going to downgrade the seating quite a bit at Northwestern from around 50,000 square feet down to 35,000 square feet that raised a little eyebrows. I don't know if you have any kind of, uh, take on that situation.
1: Well, now instead of only looking a quarter full, it'll look half full. So that's good. Um, that's <laughs> a positive think, yeah. for Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my initial thought, when I saw that image, I legitimately thought it was a soccer stadium. Like, I, thought, that they went to, I, went, I thought they went to Ireland to get, like, ideas on architecture for how they're going to build their new stadium. Um, it, it's Northwestern has been surprisingly cutting edge in this area. So I think it's a good move. 35000 um, what was funny was uh, I've talked to some buddies who have played at Northwestern, not played right, at Northwestern, right, but played yeah. on on Ryan Field, and uh, they said it's a it's it's funny because you know you you think about Michigan Stadium, Happy Valley, Kinnick Stadium, all these places where you have a home field advantage because the noise. But going to Northwestern, it's like a different sort of home field advantage they have. Like, it's just quiet, sleepy. It's tough to get up for those games. So does that does that aspect of Northwestern's, quote unquote, home field advantage go away? Interesting. Um, that, that was just that's something I never thought of. You know, it's as a player, you don't, or as a non-player, you don't think about that sort of stuff. But the guys who are on the field are like, it's really tough, especially if you're playing a night game. Or uh, it's really tough to get up for those games when you see there's, you know, 25 to 50% capacity. So I I like the look of the stadium. Yeah, looks good. Um,
0: yeah, th- another factor will be it's going to be tough on, you know, visiting Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska fans. Right. Now they're going to have to compete with each other to find tickets to the stadium if you take 15,000 seats out. Just a personal note, uh, the first road Big Ten game I ever went to was at Ryan Field. Uh, and it was the first time I ever saw my older brother play in his uniform. Uh, that, that's why we went. I was, I was a young and I was there with one of my buddies. Um, so it always, I mean, there's probably a lot of big 10 fans that, you know, they've gone to games at Ryan field and it, it, you know, a little sentimental to, I mean, we're a couple years away from this happening, but it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. All right. Yeah. There you go. There's the, uh, the, the tidbits, if you will. So let's go ahead and move into the football contest as you and I briefly spoke Uh, Before we started recording, as awful as the schedule makers were last week at putting this together, they get an A or A plus this week. We got one game on Friday, two games early on Saturday, two games in the afternoon, and one all by itself in the evening, which is kind of nice because... There's usually another good primetime game on in the evening, too. Yes. So now Big Ten fans can, you know, if they will, can watch Iowa-Illinois and maybe bounce it off with, a, you know, a ACC, Pac-12,
1: or, or SEC game. Good to see the how this schedule is set up, huh, DS? Yeah, I love it. Um, I always have six to seven screens going on a college football Saturday in my place. So uh, I usually can get all the games no matter what, but it makes life so much easier when you're only focusing on two uh, and then I keep another, you know, three or four games on from across the SEC or ACC just because of the, the nature that is college football and not having to cover it uh, exclusively. It's so much more enjoyable to just sit and watch and just yeah. <laughs> drink beer. I live- so I love this schedule. It's awesome. I wish we had this. Now that I'm not in it, I'm, I'm good with Friday games. Let's yes. do it every freaking week and break it down so we can have this type of schedule every week. You're like a politician. You can
0: do a 180 on a topic as soon as it benefits you. <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's go ahead and start breaking those down. First game up this Friday, October 7th, the 2-3 and three, Nebraska Cornhuskers heading east to take on the 3-2 and Rucker Scarlet Knights. This is a 6 o'clock p.m. game. On FS1 line, Huskers by three, over under 48.5. Vegas is saying something like 27 to 24. Huskers, Huskers first time leaving Lincoln since they got back from Ireland. Another way of putting it is this is the Huskers' first true road game of the 2022 season. Coaching change mixed in there just saying i don't think that's something that can be easily dismissed this is kind of a big factor in this game what else you see in here ma'am
1: yeah i mean i think the thing that i thought of um right off the gate was how how does nebraska respond what's the mentality like now that it they they it wasn't a one possession game but you were in a tight game with indiana 21-21 you found a way to make some big plays down the stretch Um, with your back, I don't, I don't know if it was against the wall, but they, they were able to get over that mental hurdle and put a team away. And we, that was something we hadn't really seen under the Scott Frost era. So I'm really interested to see that now is that, that mental wall down, are they going to come out with their hair on fire and just think, you know, Hey, we got the athletes, we can do this. Um, I hadn't thought about the road, the road element. And on a short week makes us a little bit more of an interesting game. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the fact that they were just going on the road for the first time since, uh, week zero. That does factor into it. But I think more than anything, to me, it's it's Nebraska's mentality going in there. It's been such a huge issue under Scott Frost. I'm looking forward to that. But the other thing is, I think that at the what happened at the end of that Ohio State Rutgers game is going to drive Greg Shiano and Rutgers is also going to play pretty pissed off in this game. So I think you're going to see two teams come out and and play really aggressive On a Friday night, this is a chance for Rutgers to get back in the winning column. Love this as a Friday night matchup, because I think we're going to find out a lot about these two teams in this game.
0: Um, Shout out to a guy, Damon Benning. Uh, He had his uh, own show in the Lincoln, Nebraska area, uh, Sharp and Benning. Uh, He kind of head off to the sunset this week, uh, which which stinks because he was one of my It was one of my favorite tidbit podcasts to listen to. He always had very interesting things to say as an ex-player. Damon Benning also agreed with you that it's always been a mental thing with Nebraska that's been holding them back. So he would, if he heard that segment of the podcast right there, I think he'd echo your sentiments quite a bit. Much, much needed win by Nebraska. Getting down kind of the X's and O's things a little bit. Is the defense better? Okay. They got, they got Indiana to go three and out several times in that game. And Indiana's at a eight, nine. T- much it what was
1: nine. nine well, I counted nine. If you count the two, the four and the, the final drive where they went four four and out. Wow. Okay. I knew it was quite a bit. Um, yeah. That's a lot. I mean, that's gotta be more three
0: and outs than they had the previous games added up than that right there. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. Like, I think that right. is bill Bush. Um, um uh, simplifying the defense, simplifying the signals into the guys on the field. So is that something that's going to carry over again? I, I personally believe it, it will. It's just something to look out for. Um, the other side is I I just – I have no idea what to expect out of this offense. I I do not think it's an offense with an identity yet. I don't know how it could when you have a completely different – Mindset on on Scott Frost being a part of it. He took play call, calling over at some point. You saw an immediate jump up in the rushing attack. He has been gone now. I don't think it's. I don't think I'm overstating this to uh, to say the rushing attack has has dropped back. You know quite yeah. a bit. Um, so I still do not know what that mix is. Uh, Mark Whipple had some funny, interesting things to say this week in press conferences. He sounds a lot like an old dude that don't give a bleep anymore and probably <laughs> knows that he's not going to be at Nebraska any longer. So Mark Whipple could be the the best soundbite guy for the rest of the year. So I it's weird. Now I feel like I know what I'm getting from Nebraska's defense a little bit, which is just a little bit solid, better play. Nebraska's offense is kind of of a, a of a wild card to me. Um on the other side with Rutgers, I'm going to say it again, um they're a little bit better than what people realize. And I, and as when I say people, I'm one of those people, I th- I think they are better than, than people give them credit for.
1: I agree with you and I'm not quite as sold on Nebraska's defense. And one of the things that I'm looking for in this game, I think Nebraska's or excuse me, I think Rutgers is going to be able to move the ball on the ground. I mean, Nebraska is still allowing five point, basically 5.4 yards per carry on the ground this season. And, Rutgers has, at times, been able to move the ball well, that, and that's that's, that's kind of how Rutgers wins football games. They don't have to get a 30-yard gain. They don't have to have the explosive plays. If they can get three to four yards and stay on schedule and occasionally mix in a, a, a pass for 10 to 15 yards, they can nickel and dime you. Um, I just don't take a lot away from that Indiana game because Indiana's offensive line is so bad. Um, I, I do think that Nebraska's defense looked a little bit simpler, and I think that it probably looked a little bit better. I'm just not buying it against an Indiana team that has struggled so much. So And were out um, and did have
0: their two top receivers last exactly.
1: week. Exactly. Uh, and I think the other thing that's going to be a factor in this game is Nebraska's turned the ball over two or more times in four of their five games this season, and Rutgers has forced eight turnovers. Um, again, that's how Greg Schiano teams win games. They don't have to uh, – to use the phrase that uh, you guys talk about with Northwestern, you and Kurt a lot, they can drag you into a phone booth a little bit. And I think that that's what they're going to try to do in this game is, is, especially on the offensive side, just try to wear that Nebraska defense down, maybe hit a big play here and there, and then hope that their defense gets a couple turnovers.
0: Yeah. I mean, Iowa's offense had a little bit of success running the ball versus Rutgers, Um Ohio State's offense had all kinds of success, but honestly, it's just it's the it's the Ohio State rule. You just kind of throw those games out. I personally believe Rutgers will get back to looking better defensively and stopping the run. So then there's that's to me is the most interesting thing. Is will Whipple look at the film and say yes, we are going to have a hard time running the ball versus this defense. And will he just go back to his what Whipple knows best, which is just whipping the ball around the field like that? That to me is the most interesting thing to look out for. I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying that's what's going to be interesting. Um, another thing that was funny this week is is uh, Whipple said, you know, I try to be a nice guy. It just doesn't work. Guys respond better to me when I'm a dick. He literally said that <laughs> he, he used that, it was hilarious. So I think you're gonna see him chewing some Casey Thompson ass. I think you're gonna see him. The expectations by Mickey Joseph and everybody has been raised. <laughs> they they have raised, they're like, guys, look around. There's no reason we can't win this. You're getting a charged Nebraska team coming in. It's just I swear to god, that's right. How Shiana wants teams, and the fact yeah. that it's it's the it's the First road game for Nebraska, it just all adds to the intri- intrigue for me,
1: yeah. Same here. Um, and I, I don't know if you have anything else to add, I can go jump into yep. my, my prediction for this. Um, so I have Rutgers 27, Nebraska 23. So that's obviously a Rutgers cover, and at 50, that is a slight over. Okay, we divide, we, di- we diverge right from
0: the get go, but just let me say. I think I had that exact same prediction <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so like I, I, a pre-warning uh, to anybody that, that takes me as gambling device uh, advice, excuse me. Um, I'm pretty clueless on this one. Okay. Like yeah. not clueless, just like, um, this is a tougher one to to pick in the end. I do think we will see more of a defensive battle than maybe people realize. Um I think both defenses will look a little bit better. I don't completely trust Rutgers' offense, so I sure. think they will they will phone booth it. But in the end, I've got Nebraska twenty three, Rutgers twenty one. So at forty four points, I have the under. So you have Rutgers and the over. I have Nebraska in the under. Like there we that. go. Hey, after last week, I don't really want to go head to head with you, man. You were scor- you were you, you were on a heater <laughs> but, last week, man.
1: I, that means I'm going to go one in one in five this
0: week. <laughs> That's usually usually how that works out. All right, moving into this Saturday, October eighth, first one up. Woo, got a good one here. The three and two Purdue Boilermakers at the three and two Maryland Terrapins. Excuse me, the four and one Maryland Terrapins. This is an eleven o'clock a.m. game on big 10 network line Terps by three over under 58.5. So Vegas is saying something like a 31 to 28 win by the Terrapins. Um, First thing I could say is almost every outcome is on the table here. I, yes. I, 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 I would be less th- this. So basically the four outcomes are a blowout by Purdue a blowout by Maryland, a short, a close win by either team, right? Those are the four outcomes. The one that I would feel least confident in quite honestly is a Maryland blowout yep. because I trust Purdue's defense so much with that being said, they're all on the table. This
1: is a great game to kick off with on Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, this is an awesome game. Uh, and, Look, the first thing that pops into my head, and this goes back to Saturday's game. It goes back to what I've been talking about all season long. We've been talking about all season long with Purdue. I just, that that Bernie Sanders meme, I, I'm sure you've seen it. It's nope. like, I'm now, I'm once again asking Aiden O'Connell to find a different receiver other than Charlie Jones, because at one point in that Minnesota game, I mean, he was targeting him with three guys around him. Like it was, it was frustrating to watch from a fan perspective. Like you've got other receivers there. And I think teams are now starting to figure out like, Hey, let's take Charlie Jones away and see if Purdue can beat us. I'm, I'm still waiting for that to actually happen. And then Aiden O'Connell to hit like Payne Durham or TJ Sheffield or somebody we've not even seen touch the field yet and go off for a 200 yard game, because that seems to happen like once or maybe twice a year in a Purdue offense. Um, and, and let me build
0: on that. I mean, uh, the week at, uh, FIU or FAU, excuse me. Um, O'Connell was out, right? So you kind of throw that to the side and I don't know how healthy O'Connell was last week versus Minnesota, but that's the first game where O'Connell and Charlie Jones have been playing together that Charlie Jones didn't go off. So I think that adds to what you're saying, which is Minnesota and Joe Rossi said, we're going to make somebody other than Charlie Jones beat us. And they only had 10 points, you know, going into the fourth quarter and they forced two O'Connell turnovers. I I have got to think any defensive coordinator, you know, that's got two eyeballs and a brain is going to see the same thing that, that that we're seeing that Joe Rossi, I think, saw as well.
1: And see, this is where I get into the little bit of a conspiracy theory on this side, because is that what Jeff Brown wants? Okay, go ahead and take it away. And then we're going we're gonna to target another guy because you're going to leave him open this entire game. Like, that's, a, that's just my line of thinking. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, but it, it crossed my mind. Or are they going to run the ball?
0: Because this is now Devin. a rushing attack. Like Devin mock me. Teams, there's, he is good. I rewatched that game. I liked him the first time I saw him. Then I rewatched that last game a bit against Minnesota. I'm like, oh, he's good. And I think we always talk about quarterbacks, obviously, and that's important. But in that, in that Minnesota Purdue game, it was the running backs who changed that game. Minnesota's yeah. running backs couldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight, whereas Maccabee was making plays. It was a total yeah. different. I don't know. I I think I'm starting to think Brom like Tom. Has
1: read all of the reports about how they can't run the ball. He's taking it yep. personally and he's starting to jam it down people's throats. I think so too. And uh what's funny, you know, last week we talked about what would you rather have? The great offense or the great defense, and you, you know, you basically the other one's gonna be terrible. It was kind of a little bit of that when I saw the rushing attack. Like Purdue's been so good uh throwing the football that it was like I don't. I don't like. I was doing the the uh, the Shawshank Redemption freedom thing at the end when I finally saw them able to run the football um, because that Penn State game, the Syracuse game, they had to resort to throwing. So, um, but the thing that that uh, I don't like about this game, Jeff Brom, one in four in his next game after beating a top twenty-five team. So that's something to keep an eye on. They tend to have a little bit of a letdown. Um, and by the way, did you see the, pre- the postgame the post game presser with Brom? No. No. Yeah, he said it was one of the best wins he's had at Purdue. Um, so which adds to my point from last week, by the way, Gopher fans, that he really wanted to beat P.J. Fleck because <laughs> they've beaten Ohio- a, a, a number two ranked Ohio State, a number two ranked Iowa, a number three ranked Michigan State. They beat a ranked Boston. Like, they've had a lot of good wins under him. So for him to say that after the game against 21 Minnesota early in the season, I'm telling you. Yeah. He wanted that. <laughs>
0: Um, I tell you what, so then switching over to the other side. Um, first of all, how is Maryland going to get screwed with a horrible interception? Either taken yeah. away, oh my or, god, uh, two, two, I don't know which one was worse the, the pick six that got called back last week versus Michigan State, or the phantom interception that Michigan got, uh, like those. Yep. And by the way, again, Locks's comments saying, well, once we get good, we'll start getting the calls. Uh, yeah. absolutely love it. It's one of the baller comments by a coach. Speaking of locks, I just get the feel that locks it's locks against the world and, and yes. in his own head. And, and he wants that respect. He wants it for his football team. He wants it for himself. I think this is another game that that's big for him to get it. I mean, Purdue's pretty hot. Okay. Like they're not ranked. Um, I mean, if they, if they held on versus Syracuse, they would be, you know, I mean, I, I think Purdue would, would hold up and Maryland with any of those crappy sec teams that are, that are down at the bottom of the, of the top 25, not crappy, just not any better than these teams. Um, Maryland
1: and Purdue are both better than LSU.
0: Okay. Thank you. I, I I believe and Texas AM and and Texas AM and was yep. just ranked 17th last right. last week. Yep. So I digress. That'll become a, that would, this would become a completely different podcast. We went down long story short is, is locks wants this game and he yep. wants to keep stacking wins. Like, like maybe that's obvious. Maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but, but it, it is my thought process that I don't think you're going to get a, a sleepy Maryland team. I I think they're going to be ready for this game. Additionally, in second viewing of the uh, uh, Maryland-Michigan State game, I think part of what the issues were last week was, I don't think Tua practiced at all last week. I think the timing and and certain things were off. One would assume he's going to practice more this week. I think it would lead to probably a, a sharper Tua, therefore sharper Maryland offense overall.
1: Yeah, I I think, and you talked about Jeff Braum finding a a running attack. How about the one-two punch that they have at Maryland with Antoine Littleton and Roman Hemby? Like, I think Locks is in that same, like, you're telling me I can't run the football. I'm going to show you how I'm going to run the football. And on top of that, they've got four receivers that have already had over 200 yards. Like, this is a team that throws the ball all over the yard, and now they can run it. And it's like... Over the past couple of years under Mike Loxley, this team has had good aspects to it, and he just keeps adding little pieces to this puzzle that make them better and better and better. Like It feels like they are legitimately right now, I don't know, maybe a few defensive backs, maybe a defensive lineman away from being like a top 15 type of ball team, ball club team. So I, I think like um, I, I just really like what Maryland has and presents on – what they're doing offensively. I think that their defense is good enough to win a lot of football games. Um, and I think you're right. I think Mike Loxley has taken on this mentality of uh, it's me against the world. Nobody trusts Maryland to get the job to, to to win football games and we're going to get it done. So this, I think both coaches have that same sort of mentality, which makes this game even more fun. Yes, that, there you go. And that's what juices this thing up is
0: like, I think Brom is pissed that they're three and two. You know, yep. I, I think if they're just four and one, beat Syracuse, which by the way would then be a four and one team instead of a five and zero team. I think you would see Purdue ranked. I, I believe you would. So I think that's what is ticking Bram off. With Locks, we already kind of touched on it, which is all that stuff. But if they win this game and get to five and one, I think Maryland would be ranked, and I think Locks is is ticked off that they're that they're not ranked, and then all the other stuff. You know, I think O'Connell's healthy now. I think. Tua's health. Uh, excuse me, Leah's healthy now. Um, the 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 up and down of Brahms teams, just yes. in general. But now you've got after a quote unquote big win. Uh, that's a big win versus Minnesota, and they're on the road for the second week in a row. Yep. It just adds to the intrigue of, of anything that could happen here.
1: Yeah, I think I, I I really hated picking this game. This is the side me too. Deal. Like I I, yep. I we talked. You could flip a coin on this anytime, but I think Maryland overall has the better team in this. Um, So my prediction for this one, I'm going Maryland 33, Purdue 27. So that's a Maryland cover. And at 60 points, that's an over.
0: Okay. All right. We got a lot of divergence going here. Um, Like I said, I could see it, right? I could see it here. Here's the thing though is, is both have good offenses, right? Yeah. I, I think O'Connell They they, okay, FAU backup quarterback last week. Really good Minnesota defense. Probably still getting back into the swing of things. O'Connell. I think the Purdue offense is more like what we saw the first couple weeks of the year. Okay, flipping the other side. Purdue's got better defense. So, so to me, this is how I'm breaking it down. They both have good offenses. Purdue's got the better defense. I know it's going on the road, but I've got Purdue twenty eight. Maryland 27, so a thriller, and at 55 points, just under the game total. At one point, I really like this under, but it's the I think both offenses are ready to bust out is what scared me away. So I actually brought my total up, but I could see that going either way. All right, moving into the staying in the, uh, 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 the early games. The five and O number four ranked Michigan Wolverines coming into Bloomington to take on the three and two Indiana Hoosiers this is an 11 o'clock AM game on Fox second big noon kickoff in a row for the Wolverines, um, line Michigan by 22 over under 59. So Vegas is saying something like 40
1: to 18 Wolverines. I thought last week's win against Iowa was really impressive, um, for Michigan, uh, I think J.J. McCarthy played well, but it, for whatever reason, and maybe this is me just being too critical, I still think there's something missing from him since he's been named the full-time starter in those two Big Ten games. Obviously, the level of competition has increased each week. I'm kind of wondering, he's going up against a bad Indiana secondary, a team that has not been able to, to stop many offenses. Is this a game where he kind of gets his mojo back a little bit? Because I think what they're going to be able to do is like they've done with every against nearly every team they've played run Blake Quorum, bust open some big plays. That's going to open the passing game and Indiana's defensive backs are not going to have an answer for Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Luke Schoonmaker. They're just, their secondary is not. So I I don't think it's any question. Michigan's going to go in there and just pummel Indiana. I hate to give that away early in this analysis, Um but to me, I'm more watching to see what does J.J. McCarthy look like? Does he get a little bit more comfortable? Because it's still on the road. It's still a Big Ten game. It's still a Big Ten opponent. Um, does he get a little bit more comfortable? Does he get some of that mojo back? And, and how good does this Michigan offense look? Um, defensively, that second-to-last series where Mike Morris, Taylor Upshaw, and uh, um, Oki all got a sack on, on Spencer Petrus I legitimately think that could be Indiana's nightmare all game long. I think they could end up with, with six or seven sacks in this game. I, I just think the Michigan defense is that good.
0: Yeah, um, I tell you what, it eventually, like it, we're, we're still early in the season where teams can evolve, right? So if I make the assumption that the Michigan offense kind of looks similar to what it does now, extrapolate it out, mm-hmm. somebody at some point, could shut down Michigan's rushing attack to the point where it could cause issues. Okay. Um, Iowa did it last week, but they don't have enough offense to make you pay for it right. on the other side. That's why Michigan could essentially stay running the ball. Uh, uh, very, very um, uh, low risk uh, passing attack. That was what, that was the game plan they needed to beat Iowa. And it, and it worked perfectly. So eventually somebody could challenge them with that. I still think it's this week. You know, like yep. uh they they've, they're they got Donovan Edwards back. They got to start taking some carries away from from Blake Corum. I mean, he's having a Heisman type of of season. You yes. know, like getting invited like that guy is I'm going to keep saying it, he's a freaking stud. He's a difference maker. With that being said, you need him there for the whole season. So I got to think they're going to start, you know, taking his carries back. Uh but yeah, you you hit on a lot of that stuff is is will the will the game plan be if we see them trying to load up, let's go ahead and start opening up the passing attack because
1: we just don't have very much respect with, with, with the Hoosier secondary right now. Right. Um, and when you jump over to the other side, uh, first of all, I have serious concern about Connor Bazelak's health in this game and like I'm not even being sarcastic. Like I, he could get, he could get hurt in this game. Um, and then to me, it just comes down to how much fight do you have? You you are not as talented as Michigan. You're coming off back-to-back losses. You should have beat, I mean, Nebraska, beating Nebraska was your ticket to potentially getting a bull berth, in my opinion. How are you going to respond now that you've lost two straight games? Everybody's down on you. Um, you just got to see some fight. And I do think, Indiana, by the way, has some players. Like I think Dason McCullough is a really good football player. I don't think Connor Baselak, I think he gets a lot of heat, but when you don't have any time to throw and you're continually getting pressured, he has to get the ball out of his hand fast. And I think Cam Camper um, and DJ Matthews are two really good receivers. So maybe if they're able to get them back and full strength um, or at least close to it, maybe that makes a difference in this game. But I just haven't seen much fight from Indiana, especially early in the game when you just get pummeled um they did they did show some strides in that game against nebraska but very little fight in that first half against cincinnati this is the big 10 if you don't come out of the out of the gate uh, with your hair on fire you're going to get blown out of the water and um i indiana's run defense is a little bit better than the pass defense so i think they could maybe potentially slow michigan down ever so slightly i'm not saying uh, maybe like a 27 to seven halftime score or something. Um, I I just don't know if I see that fight from him this week.
0: That breakdown brought to you by Purdue's own Dustin Schutte. Um <laughs> just, I'm with, I'm with you, man. Like my, honestly one of the things I have written down is it, Michigan has to go on the road for the second week in a row and play in, and this actually fits in beautifully what you said before, Sleepy Bloomington at, at 11 o'clock AM noon local time. Um, that would be what w- you would hope Yeah. could play into Michigan slogging around enough where you get into the third quarter and maybe Indiana busts a play with those talented receivers. Like that is the script I think you have to look for in order for this to stay a game. It's just, uh, I just haven't seen enough to think it's going to happen and, this sure seems to be a Michigan team that wants to reprove itself to be another elite team this year. Like I think there is a, we don't want it to look like a flash in the pan type of deal. And a way to do that is to just blow out an opponent on the road. Um, So I'll get into mine. Um, I've got Michigan 42, Indiana 24 with some of those coming a little bit garbage timey against the Wolverines. So at 66 points, that's the over and easily covering the 22. That is my Amador double barrel lock of the week.
1: Well, uh, we, a uh, little bit, uh, a lot of it different, actually. Um, I, I just think Michigan's going to get out. Blake Corm's going to bust a few big plays and it's going to be ball game. Indiana's going to fold. I have Michigan 53, Indiana 10, Ah, uh, that's a very easy Michigan cover and at 63. That's an over, and that was my Amador double barrel lock of the week. Wow. Okay, so we
0: we we see the same game here, is what we're yeah. saying, I guess. So, yeah. whew, sorry, Hoosier fans, we try
1: to just call them matter, like we see them. Just a matter of if they if they get those junk touchdowns, I guess is really the biggest difference.
0: Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, did you enjoy the play? <laughs> <laughs> The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produces one of a kind whiskeys Amador is made to be sip neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to big 10 football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder option. So you can see where to find Amador near you at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador whiskey born in Kentucky, raised in California, Moving in to the afternoon, the two and three Wisconsin Badgers going on the road, not too far to take on the one and four Northwestern Wildcats. This is a 2:30 p.m. game on Big Ten Network line badgers by 10 over under 44. So Vegas is saying 27 to 17 Badgers. Christ almighty Dustin. This game has got a little bit of spice now. Um, yep. let me just let me just throw this out here, okay. Okay, this is college football, right? Like anything could happen. This is only a ten point spread. Okay, yep. So let me just throw this out. Like maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of trying to add a little pep to the game for some of our non-Wisconsin and Northwestern fans. But if we get into the third quarter of this game and Northwestern is hanging around and hanging around, isn't there all of a sudden a lot of pressure on Jim Leonhard? Get this win because if you really want Jim Leonard to be the dude and this first one out, he loses this game. I'm just saying, there is a lot of stress on the Badgers in this
1: game. It is funny that you bring that up because in my notes, I have I can't decide if Northwestern is the best or worst opponent you want to play if you're Wisconsin in this situation. Yes,
0: that is a great
1: question. Because obviously Northwestern is one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. There's no question about that, at least what we've seen through five games. But if it happens like you just said, and Northwestern hangs around in this game, does Wisconsin's confidence start to get shot a little bit? And, and hey, let's be we, honest. We, we, the, we can't the, shake the Fitzy magic. <laughs> it, we can't. and And
0: probably other fan bases or – college football prognosticators can they can they can, they can yes. shake it better than maybe we can um, but all that stuff plays and like you said their confidence I mean how can their confidence not be shaken right now right I mean when have we seen Wisconsin under 500 like this it just does not happen very often um, actually coincidentally I think they, it happened last year now that I, I say that out loud um, and then with two blowout losses in a row, yeah. and then you have to hit the road. Like, then you've got the, we we are playing for Paul Chris thing. Uh, It's a thing. I mean, the players interviewed, like, they seem pissed. So, like, yeah. is this a pissed that's going to ch- be channeled into good things for the Badgers or a piss that's going to be channeled into good things for Northwestern? That's the right. intrigue of this
1: game. And it's not like you they didn't make this decision heading into a bye week where you have an extra week to kind of prepare. Um, And we saw, just going back to Nebraska, we didn't know what to expect. I think you and I both thought heading into that game Oklahoma would win, but we thought Nebraska would be really tough in that game and play for Mickey Joseph. And after the first two possessions, the lights out, game over. I don't think we're going to see something like that, but that speaks to the point where what's the mentality going into this? You – it's easy to look at a, at a team and and how they've played throughout the course of the season and say, oh yeah, I, I think they're going to win a game. But you're still talking about 18 to 23 year old kids who just went through. I don't. A life, I think you could say it's a life changing situation. How Absolutely. are you going to respond to that? Um, it, it, does Jim Leonard have the? Does he have the locker room? I don't know. I don't know what's going on between the walls at Camp Randall Stadium. So it's a, like. This is to me, I don't even know so much about the X's and O's because I think, I still think Wisconsin would be able to run the football on Northwestern. I still think they'd open up. I still think they have some playmakers in, in Skylar Bell and, and DK at wide receiver. And I think their defense can get better. It's looked pretty sloppy, but I trust them that they would beat Northwestern, but that's X's and O's and all on paper. And I like, it's all mentality for me in this one. It is man. Um, one last thing on the mentality stuff. Cause let's be honest, it is, it is the most
0: intriguing part of this. Um, you know, going back to my Iowa days, you know, you know, back in the leather helmets, uh, you know, time of football and everything, but um, there is, there is confrontation between the offensive and defensive sides of the locker room. I mean, I think it's actually healthy for, for the head coach to have a little bit of competition between O and D it brings out, it it, it brings out some fight that you have in your players mm-hmm. So now you got a bunch of offensive guys that maybe have, have been kind of annoyed with Jim Leonard over times, you know, because yep. they they show up what they do for a living, which is play offense. Now he's calling shots for the whole team. I'm just saying, it's a thing. I, I, I'm not, I don't think any ex players would think I'm overstating that you see that a lot. The other side of it is Jim Leonard. I don't think is necessarily calling the defense anymore. I mean, he said that publicly that he hadn't made up his mind if he was going to call the plays defensively. I don't know. seems like a pretty talented defensive coordinator that you'd still want him in the role. So if he's not doing that, who's going to do it? Like those are all the things that would make me nervous for a Badger fan. With that being said, uh, Northwestern, we're going to talk about you in a second, but like, let's be honest, there's, there was just, there's bigger things happening with Wisconsin right now. Uh, with that being said, um, uh, Wisconsin plays better and kind of takes off when they can run the ball. Okay, yeah. that that is how they get. You got to get the offense going. I knew I thought they could potentially struggle run the ball versus Illinois. I didn't expect the stats that they had. Right. That being that bad. With that being said, Northwestern has not been able to stop anybody. They they have been a wet paper tissue. So, like, I believe Wisconsin would be able to run the ball if Graham Mertz can just not make bad mistakes, which I think he was was doing a better job of doing when he had that rushing attack. That's where I would think you would see success happening for Wisconsin.
1: I think so, too. And and I think they are going to be able to run the football and do just enough through the air to get a win here. But, again, back to – like, how do I – I don't think Northwestern's tackling is very good this season. So I think what they might try to do is in his Pat Fitzgerald way is say, get the ball loose, force turnovers in this game, and we can, we can kind of hit them when they're down. Like He's going to use this, this mentality thing as an advantage to them. Like I don't know. I think usually you go in there and, and into a game against Northwestern knowing they're going to hit you hard knowing they're going to be sound tackling, knowing it's going to be a a scrap for every two to three yards you pick up. I'm not saying that they're going to uh, uh, completely abandon that type of mindset, but is there going to be a heavy emphasis on create turnovers in this game? Is there going to be a heavy emphasis on, you know, put pressure on Graham Mertz, make him make a mistake because he's proven to do that. And again, when you're going through all these changes, I think that that's what Northwestern can use to its advantage in this type of game because they, like you said, they haven't been able to stop a nosebleed this season. Um, So it's going to come down to forcing turnovers. And in this type of game, this environment with everything that's happened, I think Northwestern's in a better position to do that than maybe they have been. Well, I mean, I guess just last week they played in the monsoon and forced four or five or whatever it was. Right. But I think that it's a similar type of situation where if you can create a turnover early in this game, get a little momentum, you might be able to get, catch catch the Badgers reeling a little bit
0: yeah I mean it's all I mean essentially that's the stuff that needs to go down I don't exactly know how it goes down but that's how it has to go down Um, that's how it's gone down in the past when Northwesterners have beaten Wisconsin is something along those lines Um, it's just that I think the best way Northwestern can move the ball is is running the ball I I I I still have faith in the Wisconsin defense that they can shut down you know pretty good running attacks. Maybe the elite rushing attacks can get their yards on Wisconsin this year, but the okay ones like Northwestern, I think they can still shut those down. And I still think the way to touch up Wisconsin uh, defense is on the outside. I just don't, I don't think Northwestern has, has the personnel to do it. So in the end, I mean, you kick it all around, but like, you really don't know how Wisconsin's mentality is going to be. So I kind of go back towards what I've seen so far. I've just got a little bit more faith on the all around what Wisconsin can do. I've got Wisconsin 27, Northwestern 13. So that's a Wisconsin cover. And at 40 points, I've got that going under the game total of 44.
1: I have a little bit of an ugly Wisconsin win. I'm going the Badgers 24, Northwestern 17. So that's a Northwestern cover. And at 41, that's an under.
0: All right. Stick it in the afternoon just a little bit later. I like this too. 2.30 start too. for Wisconsin Northwestern, half hour later. I love it when they do that. Just stagger it a little bit like that because then when the other game goes into halftime, you still got, you know, a little bit of half. Exactly. Oh, it's a it's a huge little, 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 little different. It's a big deal. All right. The five and O number three ranked Ohio state Buckeyes going on the road. To play the two and three Michigan State Spartans this is the three o'clock p.m. game on ABC line. Buckeyes by 27 over under 65. So Vegas is saying something like 45 to 18. Uh, Ohio State players. This is just what I'm wondering. Uh, they beat the breaks off Michigan State so bad last year. And now Michigan State is worse. So, and, and by the way, I think Ohio State might be better than they were last year so maybe that's maybe that's the best thing you know that can happen for Sparty is uh Ohio State has that roll your helmet out there mentality uh but we'll start with the Buckeyes because we've kind of got a theme going here by the way we're breaking down the road team each game so we better stick with that here I guess (laughs) um the the Buckeyes again to use one of the terms they've gone nuclear and 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 the thing is is we knew it was like that on offense. Now it's a multifaceted yeah. attack on offense. I think their defense is playing pretty good too. It's just, it's tough to find anything to pick apart on this Buckeye team right now.
1: Yeah. And to me, the the pleasant surprise has been Mayan Williams. I think coming into the season, we thought it was going to be Travion Henderson and, and you know, it was going to be a one man show out of the backfield. Um, but Mayan Williams, what a one, two punch they have. And again, most of the damage they've done through the air this season has been with without Jackson Smith and Jigba. So when they're at full strength um and and can throw the like this is such a dangerous team. They look like a national championship contender to me. Um and let and me you're right. De- defensively they so good. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Let me add one, sorry. I know it's stuff on Zoom, but um
1: the, there it
0: we kind of don't <laughs> we are the opposite uh, of most Big 10 podcasts or college football podcasts. We probably talk the least about Ohio State that yep. any team in the Big Ten because they're just so freaking good. It doesn't change for week to week. The only thing that changes is like some form of their team gets better. Like that's right. the best way I can describe it. Let me just say this I think Ohio State should be number one in the country. Okay. Good point. Georgia, yeah. like Joel Klatt did a great job of saying, why exactly is Georgia still up there? they looked bad versus kent state they looked bad versus missouri why are they still automatically at the top now they did drop down one one ranking so that alabama another sec right. team could move up to number 1 and and alabama looks susceptible to to texas and texas has turned out to be butt cheeks okay so right. like ohio state's quote unquote worst performance is versus Notre Dame, who at the time was a top five ranked team, who is better than Missouri and Kent State and Texas, in my in my opinion. They, they might be pretty close to Texas. So, like, long story short, Ohio State should be number one. And they have looked better every week of the season. Yeah. So, like, I think they're getting screwed not being number one or at least number two. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it is a perceptive thing, perspective. And it adds into when you get down to the end of the year for the college football playoff.
1: No, I com- I completely agree. Um, and just a few years ago, they got, they, because they had to play Clemson in the first game, um, you know, they got knocked out. So it makes a huge difference. Um, so that that's, yeah, I, I agree. I think they should be number one. I at, at the very least number two, because I think they've proven they're, they're ahead of Georgia, Alabama. I'll, I'll give them a pass. Um, you could probably compare and contrast those—the Ohio State's win over Notre Dame to um, uh, Alabama's win over Texas, but whatever. Um, you did bring up something that I thought was interesting in that you thought does Michigan State have a little bit of hope in hoping that Ohio State just rolls out the helmets? Um, but in the two Ryan Day Mel Tucker games they played in 2020 and 2021, the scores are 108 to 19 in favor of the Buckeyes, so. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, I hear you, man. Uh, like trying to stay positive with Michigan state. Um, don't think there's a ton of Sparty listeners right now. Boy, they have gone into hiding. I don't blame them. Um, they did look better versus Maryland. They did. Uh, the, the, the rushing attack. If I'm, if I said it on the recap pod, but there was more available rushing yards for Michigan state to take versus Maryland. I don't know why they didn't do that. um, Payton Thorne looked better, you know, like Mm -hmm. Jalen Reed took off. Like there was things that looked better. The defense looked better and Maryland's a good offensive team. Okay. So like there were positives to take out, like there was subtle differences that I, I think you can pull out to say at the very least, they're not just giving up on the season. Okay. Right. But I can't help but shake, but, That's against Maryland where they think they go into that game with the chance to beat Maryland. So I think we're going to definitely need something positive to happen early in this game for Michigan state to keep this thing from racing away too far, too fast.
1: I think what you said is I like what you said about the running game. I do think that there might be some available yardage on the ground for Michigan state here. I don't, I think they can still move the ball to some degree on the ground, the problem is they just don't have the same zip in the passing attack. Um, and then, you know, that makes you much more of a one-dimensional team. And Ohio State can just feast on that. I mean, they can they can clog up the running lanes and say, we're going to dare Peyton Thorne to beat us through the air. And he's not, from what we've seen this year, he's not capable of doing that. Um, the other thing that really scares me, if I'm a Michigan State fan, I didn't know this until I looked it up for this game. Uh, C.J. Stroud, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. <laughs> Michigan state has no interceptions this season through five games. Wow. Wow. All right. Um, go for it. <laughs> if you got
0: anything to add, feel free. But... I don't.
1: Nope. I don't have anything else to add. I do think, um, I do think that this, there will be some junk touchdowns available for Michigan state in this one. So my prediction is I have Ohio state 47 Michigan state 21. So that's Michigan state cover. And at 68, that's an over.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, you surprised me there with that one. Uh, what I was going to say is everybody talks about how, you know, Michigan State's defense has struggled and got now going against this offense. Don't get me wrong. there's There's reason to be concerned yes. if you're a Michigan State fan. The thing is, I think there's almost as much reason to be concerned about Michigan State's offense going against Ohio State's defense. So I've got Ohio State 49, Michigan State 14. Uh, So that's an easy Ohio State cover. I have just under that 65 game total at 63, and I'm going to kind of break a rule here. I'm two and four with my Amador locks. I want another win, so I'm going to make Ohio State <laughs> another Amador double barrel lock of the week. I want to see if I can I like get it. two. I want to see if I can get two this week. I couldn't make up my mind, and I said, you know, I. I kind of have ownership in this podcast. Who's going to call me out if I just break the rules right. and have a double Amador lock? So, Kudos all right. To
1: you for having that off the top of your head. I'm going to have to go back and look and see what my double barrel lock uh, percentage is.
0: Well, I have not time. been talking about it very much because it's been <laughs> very good the last two years. So, if if at the beginning of the year, if anybody played all of my picks, but faded me on my Amador picks, they would be making a lot of money. Which is tough to do, but that would be the number one way to do it. All right, breaking down our last game. We put this out to a vote like we almost always do. These were shocking results to me. First off, 1,120 people voted on Twitter and garnering 55% of the vote. The Big Ten game of the week is the 2022 Ice Bowl, the three and two. Iowa Hawkeyes coming into Champagna to take on the four and one Illinois fighting Illini. This is a 6 30 p.m. game on BTN line Illinois by three and a half over under 35.5. We got another low one. So Vegas is saying something like 20 to 16 Illinois. Stats of war, by the way, predicted this game to be 15 to eight. Just to, just to try <laughs> to give you more data. Of uh, the defense and the offense is what they think. Uh, plenty of good seats available, DS. Um, yes. This is something that has ticked Big Kurt out, Big Tur- Big Kurt off all week long. Uh, as of yesterday, we had 20,000 seats available in Memorial Stadium. We had to look it up. It's a 60,000-seat stadium, so 40,000 people are going to be there. You have to kind of wonder how many of them are Hawkeye fans driving yeah. in from Iowa are down from Chicagoland. There's a bunch of Iowa fans around there. Um, this is a big moment, another big moment for Beatle and the program. We'll see if the stadium fills up, but I don't know. The overall crowd, how this is going to feel on a Saturday night, I do think that plays into how this contest winds up. I don't know if you got anything to add with that.
1: Yeah, well, first, I I feel fraudulent breaking this game down on the eyes on Big podcast since kurt's not here so uh shout out to him i do hope that i do hope illinois has a good turnout because after seeing such bad football for so long like they did like the fan base deserves this the players and you got to show beeline with some love i mean he's got this team four and one um and they just went on the road and beat a, a, a wisconsin team like i i i don't know that it's a sellout but it's got to be you got to you got to gobble up close. some of those points yeah you got to get you got to get close it. Um, i hope i hope I hope it's a pretty full stadium and not because a bunch of Hawkeye fans, some Hawkeye fans, but not a bunch of them have have bought the tickets. So moving on from the
0: atmosphere, sticking with the theme, uh, the Hawkeyes, uh, the fan base is, is wounded and weary. Um, this week, uh, Kirk Ferentz, coach Ferentz, he caught the ire of a lot of fans by saying, call me crazy. Uh, but I saw a lot of improvement. And he's saying that when they were down 20 to nothing, Michigan you know now they got it uh, to 20 to 7 then 27 to 7 then 27 to 14 taking away the garbage time moving of the offense because that's when most of the passing attack happened I did see improvement okay so I'm actually backing up my coach here uh the rushing attack and the old line hasn't looked great yet but it looked a little bit better versus Nevada and you're like ah it's Nevada They didn't look better versus Rutgers, and Rutgers has got a living, breathing defense. I'm like, okay, there's something here. I swear it looked better last week, okay? And a couple self-inflicted wounds, which mostly comes in the form of Spencer Petras, missing open guys, but also the refs derailed a lot of drives that had promise earlier in that game. I don't know how much of that game you saw, but I – I do think there is some positives going on with the Iowa offense because we already know how good the defense and special teams are. I don't know if you got anything to add to that or not.
1: I I did make a note and I said uh, as much of a bad rap as Iowa's offense is getting, I still think there are shreds of hope. I'm not saying that this is going to be a team that averages 35 points against opponents the rest of the way, but I think that you've seen that there's enough there where they can move the ball and at least play uh, something that's representative of, of complementary football, especially when you have the special teams going to the defense, playing at a high level. I think that there's enough where you can sustain some drives, get the run game going, maybe pick up some things through the air. I it's, I don't know that it's quite to the Ohio state level, but Michigan's defensive line is so good that it's hard to put a lot of stock into that. Like if they know it's a passing down, they're going to, they're going to come after you. Um, and let me,
0: and let me add this too, is like people are going to crack up when they see that, when they, when they hear me say this, but I I mean it, the difference between an Iowa offense that goes three and out and an Iowa offense that gets three first downs and punts is huge. It is huge for the time of possession and field position game. The other side would be if they do something as crazy as get three or four first downs and make a field goal, I'm telling you that is like a jolt of lightning getting pumped through the, the football team.
1: Not not only that but to speak to that um people might laugh but at the same time it, there's it's it's twofold because it's field position and it's a lot of it, it's a big difference between giving your defense a minute of rest and 6 or 7 minutes of rest. That
0: if, if I didn't explain myself through thank you for doing that because that's exactly yeah. what I meant. That's why yeah. it means so much to the team because like I still have an utmost respect on the Iowa defense. Those dudes have just been out there too long. That has been the issue. I mean, I thought they held up very well versus a really good Michigan team until it just became obvious that they were out there too long. So that's a lot of stuff I'm seeing. Switching over to Illinois. Here's what I would say. If you are somebody that is watch the film, And looked at the stats of Illinois, and you still think they're not very good, that's just because it says Illinois across the front of their jersey, not from what this football team has actually shown you between the white lines.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, But having said that, I'm going to break out this statistic before I forget. Um, Do you know by chance the last time Illinois beat both Wisconsin and Iowa in the same season? Oh, I mean, obviously I know – the last time they beat Iowa. Um, Oh, man. Oh, man, you got me going. Okay, I'm going to say 2001. No. Really? It was 1989. Shut the front door. 1989 was the last time they beat both teams in the same season. Now, in 1995, they beat Iowa and tied with Wisconsin. Um, And here's something else that was interesting to me. When they beat Wisconsin and Iowa... In 1989, 1989, here's how it went down: Illinois beat Wisconsin 32 to nine, <laughs> and then the next week they beat Iowa 31 to seven. Wow! Which they just are now coming off a 34 to 10 win over Wisconsin and play Iowa the following week. So very interesting. I couldn't. I. I. If I oh. went too long, I knew I would forget to bring that up, so I had to drop that in. I was shocked that it had been that long, because they've had, had some good teams.
0: Absolutely. Um, so really, I mean. In 1989, Iowa struggled. I mean, I I, I remember that team, uh, and that was right – I think Barry took over that year. I think I'm correct. So I think that was a struggling Iowa team in a first year under Barry Alvarez. Wow, what a, what a stat. Fine, yes, that was pretty good. <laughs> did you pull that from somewhere, or did you just start thinking, what is the last
1: I- time, and then you went into Winsopedia I- and checked it out? I started thinking I was like, I wonder when the last time Illinois beat Iowa and Wisconsin the same year. Thinking it was going to be maybe the Rose Bowl season, like two whatever year that was. What was it? 2008? Yeah, two thousand one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was another season under Zook where they were really good. Um, I was so I think I was thinking ten to fifteen years, and that alone would have been quite the time. And then I did the research, and I was like, wow. <laughs> so it, That's it took crazy. me a little bit to get that find. Which, um, which lends itself into the
0: fact that they obviously just tore Wisconsin to shreds last week. Right. They are favored this week. I mean, if you, if you want any more signs
1: that this is a much improved football team and program, I mean, there's another one right there. Right. Uh, and what I love about this team, we talk about complimentary football. There's, they are a very complete team on the offensive and defensive sides. Chase Brown is Continues to be unbelievable. Tommy DeVito is answering all of Big Kurt's prayers. I know he's probably thanking God every night that he finally has a quarterback that is able to move the ball. Doesn't have to do too much. They take care of it. And then the defense and the defensive line has been incredible. Um, They get pressure on the quarterback. They do a good job at slowing down the run game my concern for illinois heading into this game because i think this is a very good football team i think they're headed to a bowl game i could see 8 wins on this season potentially more at the same time i'm not quite sure this team is ready to take that next step to where they're rolling through big 10 opponents every single week i just don't think they have that same sort of talent so that's what that's like there's a, there's a process with the whole thing and i think Everybody thinks once you beat a big team on the road or you start off four and one that you're going to cruise to 10 and two or something, you're going to still probably have some losses along the way. And coming off an emotional win last week, a lot of hype, a lot of attention on this game. I wonder if they're going to be ready to handle it because Iowa's been in this situation. It's kind of a brand new environment for Illinois.
0: I guess the theme of the week is mentality. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much been the theme in most of these games. You bring up a point that I actually have written down is, is that is handling success. Now they've got the target on their back and this is two weeks in a row. So, yeah, I mean, Beale, Be- Be- I mean, Beetle did an amazing job of deferring all of the attention away from him onto the team with him going into Wisconsin. Now he's playing his alma mater, okay? Now, he's done that a a bunch of times. Like, this is kind of old hat to him. I mean, he played Iowa all the time when he was Wisconsin's coach. Don't get me wrong. But another big moment to get his team up. Um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying in more of an extrapolated out situation, meaning my biggest concern for Illinois, and I keep saying it, is how thin they are. Um, We still don't know about Josh McCray you know, heaven forbid, but, but if Chase Brown goes down, like that is their whole offense yeah. right now. So another way of putting it is if Iowa's defense is just good enough to shut down Chase Brown, I don't think they are, by the way, I think Chase Brown is that good, but if they are, and then starting to put the pressure on to uh touchdown, Tommy DeVito to have to manufacture plays yeah. where maybe he forces the ball. That's what would make me most nervous for, for Illinois.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. If, if you're having to throw the football, I don't think I don't think that Tommy DeVito is the type of quarterback against an Illinois defense. Now, maybe against like a Northwestern or somebody, he might be good enough to, to throw for 250, 300 yards and, and get a win. Um, I don't think that would be the case against an Iowa team that is known to force turnovers. Phil Parker, I still think, is the top three defensive coordinator in the Big Ten. You're just not going to be able to do that. So that's a great point. Uh, the other thing, I keep coming back to this, um, and this did – play a role in in how I chose this game, too. Big Kurt has said, maybe once, maybe multiple times, special teams is going to cost Illinois a game this season. And when you're playing, I don't know that it's going to be bad to the point where um, it's, you know, missed field goals and missed extra points and all that. But the difference in special teams between Iowa and Illinois is a very real thing heading into this game.
0: It is. It's a, it's an absolutely big factor. It is something that needs to be played in um, because field position in and of itself is going to be a deal. I mean, it is hard for me to think Tory Taylor won't be amazing. They are spotty both with punting and place kicking. Yes. Um, and then, I, I mean, just the overall feel of if they battle down the field to kick a field goal and it's a makeable 38 yarder and they miss that just adds more, you know, electricity and fire that I was like, okay, we've got an offense. That's not, that's kind of sputtering here a little bit and it gives us a chance. So I think we hit the recipe on what it would take for Iowa to, to win this game. Um, You got anything else to add? Otherwise go ahead and jump into your prediction.
1: Yeah. So in this one, for all the reasons I said, I actually have Iowa getting the upset 17, 14. So that's obviously an Iowa cover and at 31, that is under the 35 and a half. I could see it. I hope I see it. Uh, it's going to have to,
0: it's going to have to look a lot like the, the Rutgers game. That's, that's what it would have to look like, uh, for Iowa to win the game. And it could, we've done it a hundred times seemingly over the last couple of years. So it could happen. I just keep going back to the same thing, DS, which is both teams have great defenses. Okay. Yeah. Illinois has got a better offense. I think, yep. I think the rushing attack of Iowa is coming along, but Chase Brown has been great the whole year. And then they've got a mobile quarterback. I just, the pass pro that is expected out of Iowa's offensive line for the statue of Petras has got to be so good all game long. It's just hard for me to see that happening unless he can just sling it which is hard for me to see that happening as well. Whereas touchdown, Tommy DeVito can make plays with his legs, both getting out of the pocket and throwing and scampering for a first down on third and four. So in the end, I think that's what you're going to see is just a better quarterback winning the game. I've got Illinois 20, Iowa 18. So at 38 points, that's over the game total of 35 and a half. The last thing I would add is to give you a look inside the Iowa psyche. Heading into this season, Iowa had extensive winning streaks versus Iowa State, Illinois, Nebraska, and Minnesota. The last time we, for a lot of this, it's been eight years since Illinois has beaten Iowa. We had win streaks going in the past. They all ended in the year 2014 versus we lost to all of those teams but Illinois in 2014. What Iowa fans are starting to fear is, is this the year where all of our beloved streaks over our rivals come to an end? So this is the added angst to this game: is can we keep one of the streaks alive?
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that yep. makes sense.
0: Yep. There you go. <laughs> I, I I could have put it in my an, an, uh, analysis, but I don't I don't know really what it added other than, you know, I'll be butt clenchy for this game. <laughs> I, I can I can guarantee you that. I I am.
1: I'm happy this is the night game because I do think this and Purdue, Maryland are are the two best games of the week. So I'm glad that this one got a prime time and I'm glad it was the, I'm glad the eyes bowl is also the game of the week.
0: Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was surprised at how many votes this got over Purdue, Maryland. And I said that on Twitter and somebody said, you're surprised that the Iowa-Illinois game got a lot of votes for two guys on the podcast that are both an Iowa and Illinois guy. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's a fair point. But anyways, I, I, those are the two best teams or two best games this weekend. But long story short, we got a lot of good football this weekend. Can't wait to watch it. Do you got anything else to add? I don't. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm not Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on the Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.